Welcome to the Tactical Security Podcast. Welcome to Tactical Security, where we argue cybersecurity practices from a technical and a managerial standpoint. Here's what you need to know about today's security tactics. This is episode seven, and during this episode, we're going to be discussing privacy from the consumer standpoint. So just as a quick recap, in the last two episodes, we have been discussing privacy. Two episodes ago specifically, we discussed personal privacy and then some tactics and things to be aware of. Last episode, we discussed organizational privacy at a pretty high level. There's just way too much to cover in this short short podcast on that topic. So we kind of really hit what we felt were the high points. Now, today in this episode, we're going to be discussing what a consumer needs to be aware of and practices when transacting with a non-organic entity. So just for focus, we're going to talk about how consumers can push for their privacy and how organizations can protect their customers. That is the lens and that that uh, both sides of those is so incredibly important. So uh, I'm Wolf, I'm an advisory CISO, and uh, and I spend a lot of time thinking about where my data is going, but also t- I have a, a lot of conversations, a lot of, uh, a lot of input with friends, peers, colleagues, coworkers on what do we need to do as we're collecting data from our end users to really respect their privacy and, uh, and not get in too far over our skis. All good stuff. And I'm Dave. I work in cybersecurity professionally, but you may know of my work with Hack for Kids. So Wolf, why don't we uh, kind of expand on that opening uh, that you were talking about with the things that you think about and you discuss with executives and maybe we could just kind of look at either, either or, right? What the consumers need to do to protect their privacy when working with a non-organic entity or organization, or if you want to start with what the organizations do, because that's kind of really more I guess in your ballywick and I'm more on the the other side of things saying, hey, this is what you need to do to protect yourself. So I'll let you choose dealer's choice. <laughs> dealer's choice. You know, it's it's a really an intriguing and thorny issue. You know, consumer privacy implies that there's some relationship uh, between you, the consumer, and of course, uh, the merchant, the website, the vendor, who have you. Oftentimes, that relationship is defined by this lovely toss, right? And I don't mean uh, the original series. I'm not talking about Spock. I'm talking about the terms of service. I'm talking about that lovely document that says, yes, I agree to, you know, go ahead, let me in. And I got, uh, got in a rather heated argument recently with someone who's like, oh yeah, the problem is, is that everyone just accepts the terms of service. But of course, the, the terms of service are really long and really yeah. complicated. Yeah, and written that way on purpose. Yes, in in some ways, uh, some by some organizations, most likely, yes. Yes. All right. Yeah, they're not all. Not all. I'm not going to throw that big blanket out there, but they they seem to me, they seem to be from what I've seen because I've made attempts to read some of these. Some of them I get through it successfully, and I'm like, all right, you know warranty of merchantability and things like that and privacy statements. But you've noticed that what they present in front of you tends to get shorter and there's more links. And when you actually try to follow the link, you'll see that it is either a mile long document or another page with a lot of links that when you kind of look at that, you've just kind of hit like the wall. You're like, well, how deep is this gonna go? 
So you just kind of go back to the app and hit accept. At least that's some of the experiences I've had. Yeah, it, assuming you even open it. And that's the other yes. thing I would love to know is how much people actually open. One thing, uh, and this study is a little bit dated. I think this the, the statistic I'm citing comes from about uh, eight years ago, so it's only gotten worse. But there was analysis done, and it's been estimated that to read the privacy policies for all the websites and American visits on the internet, right? So America is our scope of the websites that are most commonly visited in a year to read those policies would take 244 hours per year. <laughs> is that like, like half like a work week? Wait, how many? Wait, no, that's so that's so wrong. If we work 40 hours a week and you said 244, that's like six weeks. Yes. Like, yes. As, an, as a full time job. You're, you're basically reading policies five hours a day, uh, you know, five hours a week, every week, every year, if you are keeping up on this. So that's that's my first complaint. Uh, I, I firmly believe in, in personal responsibility. Uh, and I do believe as a consumer, we have the, the power to uh, push for better apps, more privacy, what have you. And, you know, we've seen some organizations that have readopted it, right? I mean, Apple has made privacy at the core of um, what you get when you buy into their ecosystem. Now we could argue how effective they are, but that is that is one of their primary selling points. So I, I believe that as a consumer, we have responsibilities and as a consumer, we have the power of voting with our wallet. I would also well, argue though, we've got to do more uh, for the and the side of people building apps. So I do agree we we have the power to vote or decide um, what we want to do with our wallets. But you mentioned Apple and their privacy statement. And I remember it was years where the InfoSec and research and community has been after them to disclose just which algorithms are you using? How are you storing the keys? We just want to know how you're encrypting anything that's in transport. And they did release a nice document. And I do remember reading it some time ago. And I'll never forget this. When I go into an Apple store and I spoke with one of their geniuses to ask questions about the document, none of them obviously were prepared to answer any questions. But when I had some comments about, and I, I can't remember exactly what the detail was, I'm going back almost a decade, but I, I said, you know, there, there's a better way to do this. And the response was, and this is not the appropriate corporate response, but the response was, if you don't like it, you don't have to use our products. <laughs> that was from the Genius Bar? Uh, yeah. Ah, oh, brutal. Yeah. Well, I think their philosophies changed, to be fair. This was a long time ago. They were still very, very much more consumer-focused than enterprise-focused. I, You know, that was kind of part of their pivoting where they're starting to release that level of documentation so people can see um, how their information is being stored, what information is being captured, how it's being transported, is it susceptible to interception or eavesdropping, right? And and that not was really done for the consumers because their fan base for so many years just accepted it. They trusted that entity. And I hate to turn this into a podcast, you know, focused on one organization, but I think it's a good example 
how they did turn it around because so many more enterprises were consuming their products. In fact, I have one right here in front of me, actually two, I forgot about the small one I put in my pocket. And that is um, that because of the enterprises, they had to make a change in their policy because now you know consumers wouldn't go and, and sue the big company because of privacy issues. Yeah, they could do a class action, but there's a lot of effort where larger organizations with teams of lawyers ready to sue for any reason mm-hmm. were ready to write up the documents. And it, it made good business sense for Apple at that time. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Now that does bring up an interesting question. What, uh, what do you think about privacy regulation? So obviously in, in Europe, we have GDPR. Uh, in the U.S., uh, it's really limited at the moment to the California Consumer Privacy Act. And there, there is an intriguing difference. And I believe I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, but there is an intriguing difference between the, the EU approach and the U.S. approach in that EU views privacy more as a human right. And in the U.S., we view it more in terms of, uh, hence, California consumer well, you view it more in terms of you know consumer law and uh, as an economic issue, right? Right. So, uh, what what is your stance and your thought on on these regulations? I'm more familiar with GDPR than the California privacy rights, but it also kind of reminded me of that Senate bill is at 1386 that came out years ago, which was mm-hmm. prompted from California on any kind of consumer privacy. And as a recap on that one. It was more of if you did business or transacted business with a California resident, regardless of whether or not your organization was in the state of California, you had to ensure that you were protecting that person's person or that individual's personal personal PII, right? Personally identifiable information or personal personal information. You get it. Um, Or GDPR, as I understood it, was more around. I mean, it was kind of like the same thing, but if you were a European uh, like individual or resident and you did business with an entity in the United States, then the United States had to have certain guarantees that that information was protected for human rights reasons, as you said, versus economic, which clearly, you know, um, I always consider economics and uh, um, <laughs> you know, things being litigious, almost one in the same. Mm. They're not 100% the same. I want to be clear before people start like sending me messages about how wrong I am. But when you think like a business makes economic decisions for some reasons because of the legal impact. And we know there's so many examples of that. So if they could create a large toss, kind of going back to that, forcing someone to accept terms that they know they're not going to read, then that's an economic thing because at that point in time, they can either change their service, they can control your data, they can change the prices, pricing, they could prevent you from suing them. They could do anything because you've accepted that, right? That becomes a contract. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I, I like the idea of, you know, the, the right to be able to get copies of your data. I like the idea of the right to be forgotten. Uh, I think those are, are really important concepts. Uh, show me what you're collecting. And, uh, and I want to take my data elsewhere. And I, and I want you to uh, scrub all that. 
The other thing I thought was intriguing about GDPR, but I don't, I don't see this being strongly enforced. And again, it's not necessarily making its way over to the U.S. Um, was that everything in GDPR perspective had to be consent driven. Now, pros to that, we we want there to be a consent mechanism, and it it needs to be. Uh, explicit cons to that. Now the entire internet's been broken ever yeah. since with every single, hey, welcome to our website, click here to continue. The uh, the intriguing part about GDPR though is I, I think the, the um, emphasis on consent being plainly worded, unambiguous, clear, short to the point. Is that happening? Not now, I would argue not enough, not even nearly enough, but I like the fact that they are starting down that road. Yeah, and I do have to agree with you about um, it's not happening enough, right? And I think it's also the um, the optics for some people. They, they may believe that it is happening, and this really needs to be communicated where, you know, we're, we're starting, you know, as, as humans on this, you know, third rock from the sun are doing an okay job of protecting our privacy. And again, it depends upon the nations you're in, but the visibility of what's really being done and how secure it is. And, and then we got to go into other areas, right? So we're kind of talking about the communication of that information, but what about the, the continued access, right? At what point do they no longer have access to your data after you've terminated your, you know, your account with them? And then do they retain it? Mm -hmm. How, How long do they retain it for? If it's for a number of years, can you request that they destroy it? And if they destroy it, where's the proof? You know, how, uh, where, at what point do you know for certain there's this chain of custody being enforced and that they no longer have access, right? You know, if they delete, if they encrypt it with a key, maybe it's like a key pair and one of those keys are destroyed. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast as well, but then if that key is destroyed and, you know, it's guaranteed confirmation of the key being destroyed well then that other that data can't be recovered because to unlock that data requires that key the key doesn't exist the data has been you know rendered inaccessible um and then even the reclamation right can you say hey i want my data back (laughs) you know they can make a copy and give it to you but you really don't know if you got it all back like or or even what data they have on you hey i want to know what you know about me and are they going to even be um, earnest in that as well, right? I mean, there's all these questions, right? Because we know we know there's organizations that have made their business on their customers. Is a, a great, um, uh, I think it's a it's a documentary called The Social Dilemma. I don't. Did you see that one? I have. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, it's really good. And I'll never forget the line: "If the product is free, then you." are the product. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got it. So I think that's probably a good point to pivot, right? So uh, away from the organizational side, obviously we can put some pressure uh, on companies, but you're right to, to your Apple story. They can, they can not necessarily follow through on that. Uh, we can we can rely somewhat on regulations and, and calling for tighter regulations, um, but as we've seen, that only gets us so far. Right. You had some really good points in our in our pre-show 
around what you can do for personal responsibility, right? What are, what are some of the things that people can do to protect their privacy in, in this, uh, in this point in time? <laughs> well, I don't know if they're going to agree with this one, but you can abstain from using these services. Um, you know, it's like, hey, let, let's, I, I had this issue with somebody literally yesterday. I'm not going to call out the products, but they're like, hey, do you want to get on this um, virtual <laughs> conferencing platform? And I said, no, I don't trust it. And their, their response was, well, I don't trust any of them. And well, that's even a better response. They go, well, how about this one? They go, well, I really don't care, but if you're really concerned about security, then why don't we use this other one that's secured? But I don't know what, you know, they'll have video, but I don't know if we could share anything. So I, well, I don't care if we need to share anything. And then they're like, well, how do we even know that they're secure? I'm like, you're right, we don't. So it's like, <laughs> we're trying to abstain from using certain products because of a trust issue. And we not, neither of us trust them, but we still don't even trust the secure one. And <laughs> That is the inherent part of being an information security professional doing this for so many years, because you know, they could make a mistake, or even if they didn't make a mistake, somebody there that has access to your info is human, and they may sneak a peek, you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and you and you know, they're not going to report that if, if they don't have to, that's damaging. So abstinence is one, if you especially feel like in your spidey senses that or your gut of guts is saying, this doesn't feel right. I don't think I should accept these. Then don't, especially on mobile devices, especially on certain mobile platforms. Don't. Um, education, self-education, I should say, is another important factor. Yeah, I know it's kind of easier to watch a video and have somebody teach us. But if you could spend a little bit of time reading a couple blog articles a day that you know aren't the giant ones that are super depth showing you like, you know, assembly code and malware, but just some that talk, talk, just some that talk about privacy, just so that you get a better insight into what, what would be a really good practice, right? And and they're going to cite examples and things like that, but do some self-education, right? And even if it's just maybe even reading something on like Wikipedia, right? I mean, we know that that's kind of crowdsourced, but you could you could still get really good information because it's also crowd vetted. Oh, be aware of like privacy settings, right? Yes. Find out what the app has as far as privacy settings. So we know like, okay, you get into the app and the first thing you want to start doing is using the app, but take a moment to go look at the settings. What are your options? What is available to you? What can you turn on? What can you turn off? And sometimes they might have like a disable all switch or enable all switch. But even that enable all switch, if you go lower, there might be something you're like, oh, I really don't want this. And you could maybe just turn that one thing off. But take that little bit of extra time because it will save you worlds of time later on trying to reclaim or, or just prevent that data from getting out there and, and sprawled all over the internet. Um, so, you know, there's things like public or word, world viewable, usually the terms. It's, it's really, we kind of talked about retention and archival and destruction a little bit, but that goes back to checking the toss. And even if you don't want to read the entire thing, maybe they usually break them into reasonable sections, skim through it and just find out like, all right, even if you read one section, you're doing yourself a tremendous service to just understand what are they doing with your data? How long do they have your data? And, and what are they going to do to destroy it once you've terminated service 
or using their service, right? And then here's another one. And I know I am guilty of this is when you stop using a certain service, terminate it, go in there and cancel your subscription. And before you cancel your subscription, again, go back to an FAQ or some kind of information on what are they going to do? Like if you need to destroy your data or you want the, to like put in a request for them to destroy your information and your data, can you only do it while you still have access to that account? If you destroy your or terminate your account and you can't recover it, but they still have your data, you now have just basically cut your connection or your umbilical cord to it. It's then who knows how complicated the process might be thereafter. So before you hit that delete button, do a little bit of the upfront work and understand what you have to do to get them to destroy your data. And then what is the verification tool, right? Include that in the process. <laughs> File storage, right? If you're using some kind of online cloud storage provider and they may provide some information on how they're encrypting and protecting your information, but just understand like to what level, right? If they're, if they're using like MD5 hashing on every file, Mm, might not want to consider that encryption, but if they are using something that's considered acceptable today, you know, um, something that's not like 40 bits, something that's at least 128 bits, when again, I've heard some people argue, well, that's still crackable. So, you know, just at least something that's using modern ciphers. That's important. You don't need to understand how the cipher works and how it generates a key space and, you know, rotating keys and things like that. But as long as it's something that's like at least 128 bits. Keys should be protected with certificates, not necessarily a passcode, because passcodes can be shared. Yeah, maybe you can argue certificates too, but it's easier to reclaim those and then uh, regenerate a new certificate and protect the data again versus making sure that the passwords are not messed with. Uh, so I've mentioned password using a password manager. All the major browsers have a plugin. I'm not going to pick any for you, do a little bit of your own homework, but if you just do a search on password managers for browsers, and they also have like applications, some have apps, so you don't want to keep it necessarily in the browser extension area. You might want to have it as a vault. You could do that. Um, go as far as also enabling any sites that have 2FA, right? Um, Two-factor authentication. This way, whether if your phone is a second factor and it's like some kind of soft token, that's, that's a really good way to go because that'll also prevent somebody from phishing you. Right? If they happen to fish you and they get your password and that password happens to be your password manager, again, it should be a completely different password that you use with anything else. Like that password manager, no other tools should use that password. And if you can put 2FA on that, even better, right? Um, this also goes into kind of getting up in age. And I know I'm talking a lot, but I think this is, this is valuable stuff. But the um, the password manager, you should also have that password stored someplace. So in case something happens to you, the important people in your life would also be able to go in there and know how to get into your bank account, get into your financial accounts. And if you have secret financial accounts, uh, I, that's not a confession because I used to, but she found out about it. Um, <laughs> then you can make sure that that information's in there. So if you've got some cryptocurrency somewhere that your, your family could benefit from, then you know put those passwords in there so that they can know about them as well. And just kind of going on like geotagging on, on mobile devices, you don't want to reveal your location. 
there's so many risks associated with that. Um, opting out of any kind of advertising personalization. So whenever there's something that says, would you like to receive information about, nope. And sometimes you'll see that they still send it to you, then that's a service you can start trusting a lot less. And also the last one, and I know this, this was a lot, uh, and there's more, but again, we're just trying to throw a whole bunch of tactics at you. Any unnecessary cookies in your browser sessions or your browser cache, clean them out every once in a while. I know it's obnoxious because the passwords are in there and it's nice and easy, but if you use a password manager, you don't need to worry about your browser caching your passwords. So delete it out, clear that stuff out because you just sometimes don't know what else is going on. I know that was a lot, Wolf. I'm going to send it back to you, but is there anything you want to discuss, comment on, or do you think it's a good time to close? Yeah, I think that uh, that is a really good punch list to work off of. Know what you're signing up for, protect those accounts, delete the data before you exit, <laughs> which most websites will now support that request and, uh, and then close your accounts. I will add one more thing as we're talking about terms of service. Uh, I should have mentioned earlier, there is a terms of service didn't read, T-O-S-D-R.org, terms of service didn't read website, which has a browser add-on, which will actually do a very simplified version of uh, of what you're signing up for. So you you don't have to read uh, five hours a, a week to keep up on all the sites you're going to. That's a great tip. I didn't know about that one. I'm going to check that one out. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I guess, I guess we could, you know, thank everybody for listening to this privacy podcast series. We, we hope this information was useful and valuable to you. Um, there's, there's more to cover. This is something that, again, we wanted to just kind of prime the pump, give you guys some insight into both the, the personal consumer side as well as the organizational side and, and, and the interaction between both entities and what you can do personally to protect yourself. I want to say this is Tactical Security with Wolf and Dave. Please join us for future episodes where we will dig into tactical tools and practices. Stay healthy, everyone. Question truth and be better.